an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. And the only way to open those gates or those doors is for us to like just bear our hearts and say, this is what I've been through and this is how I've overcome it. I want to hear those stories because I want to know how to overcome what I'm facing in my life right now. I need that inspiration. I need that connection. And I think we're all just really craving something so much deeper now than mm-hmm. we ever have before because of all that has happened in the last five years, which is right. overwhelming if you think about it. I think the basis too and the foundation of us having these issues is just this being taught that we're not worthy. I mean, we get taught that in churches, we get taught that you're good or bad in school or whatever it may be. This is good. This is bad. And so we're constantly evaluating ourselves. Can we really receive that love? Are we worthy enough? Whatever it is. And so we have this foundation and this belief system that's built on unworthiness. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right. Today on the podcast, I have Megan Onan, and she is an award-winning author and speaker, and she has written some very interesting books around this duality that I'm hoping she's going to talk about, about heaven on earth. Her new book is coming out in January, and it's called Held and Free. And she also has written Agreeing to Disagree is Not Enough. So I'm curious about those things. But more importantly, people, she lives in Starkville in Mississippi, which I find awesome. We have lots of t-shirts and paraphernalia that say Stark Vegas because we love Vegas and our last name Stark. So she is also very big in the LGBT community, helping people to understand that we all need to come together and to shed light on how there's really nothing wrong with being gay. So I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, fellow Start Vegas person. <laughs> I was I was telling Amy before the show that we have a mural here in Starkville that says Start Vegas. And everyone who comes into town, because we're a big college town, Mississippi State is here, you have to go to the mural and take a picture. So I'm going to have to send you one. Yes, please do. <laughs> I would love to see it. I've yeah. heard about it, but I haven't seen it. That's so funny. So how did you get into becoming this award-winning author and speaker talking about the LGBT community and forgiveness? And I mean, you're doing so much to educate people on how to release this trauma that they've got through storytelling, which by the way, this is also, we just realized that I have already heard her speak in person in 2017 <laughs> on the on a stage in Boulder, which is so neat. I like, know we have a lot that. in common. I know. I was like, I know her, I know her, I know her. And I, now I figured it out. Yes. I'm glad you figured it out. So yeah, yeah even more context for this conversation. So, Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how you're in Mississippi, how did you Mm -hmm. come out? What was that like for you? 
in 2004, I was a senior at Mississippi State University. I was a two-sport athlete, basketball and softball. I was pretty well known because Starkville is actually my hometown. So I played athletics growing up here and was all state. Everybody knew who I was, went on to Mississippi State, which is an SEC school. So I had kind of like this persona. Everybody looked up to me and expected great things from me. And when I realized that I was gay and I started dating a woman, she was actually my roommate and a teammate. And we hit it for a year. I mean, we didn't tell anybody except maybe a few close friends who we knew would be accepting. Eventually, people started finding out, putting two and two together. Mm. And I actually didn't come out. I was outed. And oh, wow. I was a big part of a spiritual community called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and very involved there as a leader. And that community, they were the hardest on me of anyone else. And so basically I was completely rejected by that community. There was no support whatsoever. I had a hard time with my family. They did the best they could with what they knew. I was raised Catholic. And so I had this very traumatic coming out experience that I wasn't prepared for at all. I don't know if I'd ever really been prepared. I don't know how you get ready for something like that, Mm. especially in 2004 when This was not a thing that was widely accepted in any form or fashion, especially for someone like me who had never given any clues, had always had boyfriends and was the star athlete, the star student athlete and all of those things. So the coming out process was pretty tough. And actually, when I was telling my family, my older brother, he said, you know, Megan, you should probably leave Mississippi. You'll be safer somewhere else. Mm. And He's the older protective brother. And I totally, looking back, understand. But at the time, that's not what I wanted to hear. What I wanted to hear was just envelop me and support me and keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And so I felt very alone in trying to figure out what to do next. I went into therapy. My parents went into therapy. And it was a rough year before I decided to leave Mississippi. and, And I really needed to get out of the heaviness of the culture and society and expectations here. So I left to kind of find myself. Mm. And so I went on this journey and explored other cultures and spiritualities and started to understand that my spiritual self was so much more open to other ways of thinking and doing and living and seeing the world and other perspectives. And it started to form who I was as a person. And I ended up in Fort Collins, Colorado. Eventually I followed a girl there and that ended up being a really bad relationship. And I actually ended up writing my first book during that year when I was in that relationship, creating your heaven on earth, because it was kind of like me crawling out of that relationship towards the life that I wanted. Mm. And so that's where that first book was born. And my career really started as a writer and speaker that year was picked up by a, a small press. They signed me. And then I started speaking and doing workshops and coaching and just really creating a life for myself. And Ended up meeting my wife that year and kind of got to this point where things were going really well, but I was still feeling this emptiness and felt like I needed to come back home to Mississippi. I actually had this vision where I saw it very clearly, but I was really scared to come back, like totally terrified to come back home. I can imagine. But But I knew that it's what I had to do to heal and have those hard conversations and face the things I didn't want to face because I certainly didn't love who I was as a gay woman at that point, it was easier to be out in Colorado, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time, but it was really hard to be out here in 2010, but I knew that I had to face that at some point. So 
that's why I decided to come back. It was, it was for my own healing and it was the, with the intention of maybe making a difference. But I think that the difference that has been made has been more in me than anyone else. So for the past 12 years, we've been here, we've built businesses, we've built a life. We have, we got married in 2014. We have a daughter, she's three and a half years old and the full support of my family and Claire's mom, my wife, she lives with us. And so like, we have this whole community around us that we would never want to leave because everyone is super supportive and it, it's, it's been a tough journey. Like, don't right. get me wrong. It's been tough, but I wouldn't change a thing about the road we've chosen. That's beautiful. It is a rough road. I can understand. I grew up Catholic as well. And so okay. I was worried about that coming out. And thankfully I was pretty well received at the time because I was, I was living up North in New York city and New Jersey was where my family was at. So I mostly didn't face a lot of the issues that you're talking about being rejected from the church. I was, I grew up Catholic and I, I went through all um, like 10 years of schooling and things like that on Sundays, but it wasn't really a huge part of me. I knew there wasn't, I knew that God wouldn't have that against me if I, it just didn't make sense. So yeah. Well, actually, the Catholic Church, all in all, has been very supportive. The people, the community of the Catholic Church have been very supportive of me over the years. It was the the Baptist churches and, like I said, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is mostly Baptist-based. And my mom even went to a priest after I came out to seek counsel, and he was very, very supportive of what I had been through and really helped her see things very differently she's kind of told me these stories over the years. And so it's been really nice to hear that. And not too long ago, maybe five or six years ago, a Catholic priest came to me and had a, we had a one-on-one conversation about how the Catholic church could be more supportive of the LGBTQ community and how they could be more present. And so they've actually been really wonderful here. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's really wonderful. And being somebody who is a sort of a beacon for that connection between the worlds, that's, that's awesome. We need that. Yeah. It's been moving for me for sure. How did you evolve into helping people to become more vulnerable through storytelling? It's just been kind of like a natural unfolding. I would say when I came here in 2010, I wanted to continue my career as a writer and speaker and doing all the things that I did. And I've done that. And my wife and I have opened several businesses and We've done well for ourselves and we've had a journey of being the out couple and having business and all the fears that go along with that. But as the process has gone on, I naturally kind of became a voice for the LGBTQ community because I was the only one that was really brave enough to speak out because everyone else was afraid of losing their jobs if they spoke out. So the news stations, the radio stations, they would call me when the gay marriage topics would come up or when National Coming Out Day would come up, they wanted me to come speak or all of the things. I was the one that was asked to be present for the interviews and do whatever needed to be done or speak in front of city council when we had our first pride parade. So I've kind of been this person that they call on to do those things. And as a result, gay person. <laughs> yeah. And as a result, I always approached each instance by sharing my story and just being vulnerable and honest. And I saw very quickly that that approach not only was healing for me, but it opened the door to conversations with like the Catholic priest and with other Baptist ministers and with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes eventually calling me and apologizing. And so many amazing things happened because I just shared my experience and what I'd been through. I didn't say, hey, you're wrong for thinking and feeling this way, or hey, I'm going to try to change you because you're trying to change me. I approached it from like, 
this was my experience. This is how it felt. This is what I've been through. What can we do to bridge the gap here? Mm-hmm. And so I have just naturally found over the years that there's so much power in that approach, not over, only with social justice, just in your own healing in building connections with other people. Absolutely. And so it's, it just kind of has become a natural evolution of who I am as a person. And it naturally became a part of the work that I do. And now it's what I work with. It's what I talk about when I'm doing keynotes. Now it's what I'm doing workshops on. It's what I do one-on-one coaching with other speakers in their scripting process or whatever it may be. It's just become very much of my identity and it just kind of happened. It's not something that I set out to do. It just, it found me really. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I love the podcast is because people get to share their story and in sharing your personal story, it sheds light on other people's story, like within themselves. And right, exactly. They can yeah. identify, right? And it's been coming up a lot this week and last week, this idea of like, I, I'm, I'm hearing from clients and other people like vulnerability equals weakness. And I'm like, okay, let's talk really? about that. Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. And so I'm like, let's talk about that. Why do you believe that? And then they're like wanting, so for instance, um, asking for what you want is scary. That's where you have to be vulnerable and say, this is what I want, right? Yeah. And I'm like, so it's so scary when you want to ask for what you want and you're feeling vulnerable and you don't, it's so scary. Wouldn't that be courageous if you could overcome that? Not weakness. Right. And so when people finally see it as courageous to ask for what you want and be vulnerable, then they're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like that's awesome. I was, oh, I mean, why were we programmed that being, being vulnerable was weakness? It's not. Yeah. When you tell your story and you're like, I accept me for who I am and I don't care if you accept me for who I am, it's because I accept me for who I am. Right. Yeah. That totally. is courageous. Yeah. Because most people want to be liked. Most people are afraid that they're not going to be liked. Totally. It's incredible that you're helping people to get there because I do believe that is, is, uh, the transformation we've been going through, I think probably for five years or so where it became this, this spotlight on thought leaders to share their experience because then people can relate and then people can transform. Yeah. And the only way to open those gates or those doors is for us to like, just bear our hearts and say, this is what I've been through and this is how I've overcome it. And I want to hear those stories because I want to know how to overcome what I'm facing in my life right now. I need that inspiration. I need that connection. I think we're all just really craving something so much deeper now than Mm -hmm. we ever have before because of all that has happened in the last five years, which is overwhelming if you think about it. And I think the basis too, and the foundation of us having these issues is just this being taught that we're not worthy. I mean, we get taught that in in churches. We get taught that you're good or bad in school or whatever it may be. This is good. This is bad. And so we're constantly evaluating ourselves. Can we really receive that love? Are we worthy enough? Whatever it is. And so we have this foundation and this belief system that's built on unworthiness and not thinking that we deserve abundance and love and all the good things that life has to offer storytelling really plays a huge part in helping us kind of unravel that that belief in realizing that, hey, you know what? I'm okay. You're okay. We can just be who we are and interact and intermingle in the world and, and everything's going to be okay. 
but it's a process and it's, it's hard work and everyone has to be willing to do mm-hmm. their own individual work. Right. And, and not everyone wants to do that because it's a little bit scary sometimes. It's a really good point that you bring up that we are taught to constantly judge ourselves and where we stand, whether it's from school based on grades or if a teacher says you're right or wrong, or you've done this, whatever. We're just constantly looking at ourselves and judging ourselves. I try to remind people that like situations aren't black or white. There is this gray area. The way you do something might be right for you. And the way I do something might be right for me. And it doesn't mean that yours is wrong because it's right for me, you know, over here doing something different. I, I think we are moving in that direction as a society and, and getting to this place of like, live and let live, like just do you and, and I'm yes. going to be over here doing my thing and I'm not going to judge you. And yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. And you see it with the children now coming in, really challenging a lot of our yeah. old ways of thinking <laughs> and categorizing and limiting. And mm-hmm. they're really making us think about stuff. I'm curious, your second book was called Agreeing to Disagree is Not Enough. Yeah. Why did you choose that title? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it kind of fits perfectly with what we just finished talking about with what you just said. It's like this black, it's not black or white. There's always a gray area. And I feel like when there's an opinion about politics or religion or abortion or whatever the topic is, it doesn't matter what it is. It's either this or that. Right. And I think until we can get to the gray area, like you said, then there's not ever going to be a place where actually accepting each other. And so I wrote that book in 2014 before gay marriage was legalized because, and I'm sure you've heard this before too, is I agree. I love you, Megan, but I do not agree with your lifestyle over and mm-hmm. over and over. Or Megan, I really, lo- I, I love you. And it's okay that you're in a relationship with women. I don't agree with you getting married. And so it's just years of hearing this from other people. I'm like, that's not love. That's not love. That's not love. And wanting to find a way to deal with that myself. And so I I shared a lot of my story in that book in those instances and how I dealt with them, just a way to just like put this idea out there that there's more beyond agreeing to disagree. You stop at agreeing to disagree, then there's no growth. There's no evolution. There's no going deeper. There's no actual connection happening. So there's got to be a way to see beneath that opinion. And you can't do that until you hear someone's story, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why do you feel that way? Tell me more about that. Right. It's interesting because like a lot of people, I remember (laughs) sharing with people, I get similar comments and you're like, I didn't choose this. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, what do you think? Would it be easier (laughs) for me to be straight or be gay? I probably, if I could choose, would choose the easier thing, right? That's one thing that comes up. The other is like, I remember in Will and Grace when they would talk about how people, heterosexuals don't need to come out as heterosexual. Like they're not like, right, big deal. Like I am straight. And you're like, oh, thank God. Now we know. It's like, (laughs) it's so ridiculous. And then I I just want to personally talk about something that, you know, still bothers me. And I, I do hope one day it's different for people. My wife and I like to camp and- we, we traveled the country many times and sometimes we're in the South and, and we worry sometimes because the South is less accepting than other places mm-hmm. of, of who we are. And one time we were sitting around a campfire and it was like 14 people and, and we were like deep in the South. They started talking to my son and they asked him about his day and he was like, well, mommy and then mama. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, we have to go to sleep in that camper right next to all these people. I hope it's going to be okay. And it seemed, well, it was okay. And I'm grateful for that. But there are times that like, I want to hold my wife's hand or I want to give her a kiss in public. And I I feel like I can't. 
she's more uncomfortable than I am. She's older than I am. Her programming is even deeper. So it's still, it still hurts because I'm like, God, if I was in a straight relationship, this would be no problem. People would be like, yay, go for it. Like there's love and it just isn't the same yet. I agree. And I have those, those same fears, putting my daughter into daycare. That was a big deal because we were going to be out, you know, we weren't going to hide. This is our family, take it or leave it. And we've ended up having an amazing experience with all of that. But like grabbing her hand in public, that's definitely something I don't do very often. And I wish I did more of. I'm not always courageous and I don't always feel like dealing with the possible repercussions either. But I, I was having this kind of similar discussion with Rick Clemens. He's got a podcast and he was, he's a gay man and he was talking about this too. And he was like, and I totally agree with him in the instances where I've just been completely myself and just said, Hey, this is my wife. And you just don't make it any big deal. It doesn't matter where you are. Like, this is my wife. This is who we are. And people tend to just roll with that. It's when you approach it from like, we're gay and you're scared or you're trying to hide it. People pick up on fear. And so you're more likely to kind of put out this trajectory of an experience that's going to be negative for you or for whoever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really an energetic thing. It's like if we're out and proud and if I hold my wife's hand in public and if somebody has a problem, that's not my problem. So sometimes it really is like, I think an energetic thing in a lot of ways. And I've experienced that here. I've never held her hand and have someone say something to me. That's really it, maybe they look, but they don't say anything. Right, right. Yeah. I think yeah. at this point we're we're almost past that being something that we we would come across. It, it was also interesting because we were recently camping. We met a family and they were a couple and they had two kids. And Aiden came up and he's like, I'm just so glad I met them. They're they understand what my life is like. And I'm like, whoa, what's your life like? Like <laughs> Like this, you haven't even brought this up, and I and I obviously cared for him. I was just like, oh, you mean like because they have two moms, right? And he's like, yeah, like it's just different, and I'm glad they know what that's like. And he's met other kids. Like he's like, well, they're the only ones. I'm like, uh, let's go over the people we know because <laughs> that's not actually true. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's interesting that he had said that. That was the first time, and we really don't talk about it with him. Which I don't know. Do what do you do? Do you talk about? Being two moms. Yeah. Well, your no. daughter's really young still. She's three and a half, but we do. I mean, she said, how come I don't have a dad? And she questions things. She's a, she's a deep thinker like her mama. And I was like that when I was little, just super inquisitive and wanting to understand the world around me and God and all that stuff. And she's had the same questions I had when I asked my mom, but we just, we just treat it matter of factly, kind of like what I was talking about, just not making it a big deal. Yeah. You have two moms. That's great. Your friend wishes he has two moms. I know. And, like, <laughs> you can't say that to me. It was really funny. I wish I had two moms, not a mom and a dad. Yeah. I'm like, and, oh, okay. Yeah. And some families have one mom and some families yeah. have one dad and some families are some kids are raised by their grandparents and so we we approach it from like every family is different yeah. and yours just happens to have two moms look yeah. at you yeah. yeah yeah funny it is it is much different having two moms and and, and actually that i'm just gonna be honest like i recently we were we had enrolled him in football and they, he, they needed a coach and i'm like i don't know anything about football Like I know soccer and I can be your soccer coach, but I can't do football and neither can mama. Mama doesn't know anything about football. So I kind of was like, God, if he had a dad, maybe the dad would know. And I felt bad for him because he was kind of stuck. He wanted to play football and he didn't have a coach. Now we finally got a coach. Some guy got talked into it. (laughs) So that's (laughs) That's good. (laughs) And then also I was like, wait, am I, would that even be okay being a female 
coaching a boys football team. I'm like, is that where we're going? I don't know. Like, should I have signed up? Should I have learned about football a bit more? I don't know. YouTube. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. Well, that's what my wife was. She's like, you learn thing every everything so quickly. Like, just learn about football. And I'm like, I don't want to learn about football, like to that degree and be responsible for these kids becoming football players. But I digress. So your, <laughs> your next book is called Held and Freed. I'm really curious about this because okay. being held is like contained, sort of, and free is the opposite of that. Yeah. So the whole idea behind that title is getting to this place of wholeness. So it's it's a memoir and it's it's an in-depth recollection of my entire story and kind of what I've been through, but it's the whole storytelling theme. Held and Free is kind of where I feel like I am at in my life, where I feel supported by God, the universe, my spirituality. I feel very held in that, but I also feel very free to be myself and express myself even more in my professionally and in my relationships. And I just feel very grounded as a mom and with my family and our home and our families and our relationships and that kind of thing. So it's, it's that contrast that I'm referring to is just feeling very held in the unknown, but also very free to choose. I love it. I, I definitely talk about that a lot, being held in the hands of grace. Oftentimes when you want to take that step and you don't know what the next step is, but you know that you need to, you have to have that feeling of I'm going to be caught by the hands of grace yeah. or the universe or God or spirituality or my Absolutely. journey. And I, I, I teach emotional freedom technique to most people. Oh, cool. People. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Oh, so you know it? Yeah. Oh. My, my master's is in counseling, so I have that background. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously emotional freedom technique. So you feel free within your body and within your expression. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely where we're going. And when we are vulnerable, we do feel free because we're not worried about how others perceive us. Exactly. We're only worried about how we perceive ourselves, which again brings back, you shared the stage with Don Miguel Ruiz and he wrote the four agreements. And I believe that one of the ways to really be free is to follow the four agreements. If yeah. you like yourself, which if you're following the four agreements, you're probably going to like yourself a lot because there's really helps you to, yeah. to, to <laughs> not take things personally, do your best, speak your truth, all the, all the things. How, what was that like sharing the stage with him? Oh my God. I was scared. I bet. <laughs> I was terrified. And I was young in my career. It was like 2011, 2010, something like that. And I really didn't love myself then. Like I had so much work to do on myself. I wasn't even seeing how much work I had to do. Like it mm. wasn't even in my sphere. <laughs> I got my book published. I'm on stage with Don Monkey I'm excited about my, my life and my profession and my career at the time. But I just remember being backstage with him before the event. And I was so scared. I was terrified. I was trembling. I was nauseous, oh. all the things. It was this big stage and myself and another woman were in the first half. And then he and his son, Don Jose were in the second mm -hmm. half. So it was, I mean, it was a small, intimate thing, but it was in this giant theater and he noticed I was nervous and he came up to me and he was just a super warm presence, like everything you would imagine he would be. And he mm -hmm. put his arms on my shoulder and he looked me in the eye and he said, be careful what you say, because everyone's going to hear you. Wow. I was like, how am I supposed to take that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I can't say anything back to him. He's Don Miguel Ruiz. Like, yeah. But his intention, I think, was like, you're going to be okay. You know who you are. Just yeah. let it go. Mm -hmm. And it was probably one of the most freeing experiences I've ever had on stage where I let go of the script and the topics and I did something completely different. Wow. But it was because of him 
of having that interaction is what really made me feel free and just going up there and letting loose and just let whatever come out, come out. But we, then we had a, a retreat the next day. And so I got to spend a lot of time with him, but he's, like I said, he's everything you think. He's just love. He's mm. so awesome. Mm. I, I can imagine. I mean, what he's done with all his books, Mastery of Love was another great one. Before we go, I have to ask you. So on your journey, you talk about a lot of healing you've done. Is it around forgiveness? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So would you say that forgiving yourself, forgiving others is the path to this freedom that you're talking about? I think it's a huge part of it. And I think storytelling has been a big part of that as well, a part of the forgiveness process. And the times when I have been inauthentic about who I am as a gay woman or inauthentic about who I am as a person, those are the times that really put me back in my shell and make me want to shut off. And so I've had to work really, really, really hard being in Mississippi to be my authentic self because I'm so different spiritually and I'm so different as an LGBTQ person that I've had to really find ways to be comfortable and confident. So the forgiving myself part has been like this constant journey when I haven't had the courage to do what I want to do in the moment or whatever it is like not introducing Claire as my wife or something, mm. or like not holding her hand when I hold her hand or kind of avoiding the truth right. in a conversation when I'm feeling a little bit unsure about the person. Those yeah. instances have been the hardest for me to forgive myself for. As I look back, I mean, that's, that's what comes up is like, I've had to really work hard on forgiving myself for not allowing myself to be me. And so that's been the, the big self-forgiveness piece for me. And then the forgiveness of others, I've approached that from trying to decide which relationships I want to have and which ones I know aren't going to serve me. Mm -hmm. And then being willing to have the hard conversations, like with my parents, we've had a lot of hard conversations over the years, but they've been willing to have them in that relationship, super important to me. And so we've put it all out on the table or just those things that I want to heal and that I want to move on from then I've just approached it from, I've got to talk about it. I've got to tell this story. I've, I need to go have this conversation with this person. And so that's it's kind of how I've approached the forgiveness piece with, with others. And you don't always get apologies. I got an apology from the FCA for how they treated me, but there's been so many other discriminatory stories that I'll never get an apology for. And I'm okay with that mm-hmm. because I'm at the point in my life where I'm okay with me. So I don't know. I think they all kind of intertwine and it's different for everybody. This summer has definitely been about this idea of what's harder or what's easier. So a lot of times when we don't hold our partner's hand or we don't say, hey, you can't talk to me like that, it's easier just to stay quiet or not hold the hand, right? Right. And then when we walk away, we're like, God, I should have said something or I should have just held her hand. And those hard conversations are hard, like you said. You know, it, it forces you to really look at yourself and say, what got in the way there? And yeah. how can I heal that? So choosing to to really have those tough conversations with yourself and others is the best way to stay authentically you so that you, it doesn't happen again in the future. Yeah, and totally. Obviously, <laughs> I talked to you about this before we started the podcast about the healing for today's podcast is around living the most authentic life you can live. There you have it. There you have it. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience, like where they can find out more about you, how they can work with you? Everything's on my website. So if 
people want to go there, it's meganonan.com, M-E-A-G-A-N-O-N-A-N.com. And my socials there, my programs, my books, my, all the things. So awesome. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.